Welcome to European Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by the European Champions Alliance. The ECA's mission is simple, support the growth and success of European tech companies in the global market. On this podcast, top tech experts and entrepreneurs from all over Europe will share their insights and actionable tips on how to thrive in the European tech scene and beyond. You'll also get the latest updates on the global tech industry and understand how they impact Europe. Three dynamic European women host your podcast. Andrea, the founder and soul of the ECA, hosting from Paris, France. Lucie, our marketing and communication junkie, hosting from Karlsruhe, Germany. And myself, Anne-Sophie, the tech and product aficionada, hosting from the Silicon Valley. Join us on this journey as we explore the vibrant European tech ecosystem. You can also connect with our thriving community by becoming a member, by following the ECA on LinkedIn, or simply by subscribing to our newsletter on our website. And now, let's jump right into today's episode. Hi, and welcome to this new episode of the European Tech Talks. Um, today, I'm very happy to receive Mathieu Agues. Mathieu is the CEO of School Lab in San Francisco and is also an instructor and program director at Berkeley on sustainability and diversity topics. Uh, maybe to set up a little bit our interview today, we are recording on a boat. I think it's the perfect place to record this episode because we'll be mainly focusing on uh, climate topics and we are basically in uh, the middle of San Francisco Bay, actually in San Francisco. Um, Mathieu, really happy to have you here. I have a first question for you before you introduce yourself. What makes you feel European here today uh, in the US? Hi, thank you so much for having me and it's wonderful to have you on this rocky boat. Um, yeah, I think uh, maybe what I like to think is the best way to realize how great the place you were living in is is to get out of it and so that's kind of my experience here is like moving from Europe to the US helped me figure out how Europe has also fantastic advantages and benefits um, and being French I think uh, what I realized is that having a free um, you know medical uh, you know system as well as education system is definitely something that is wonderful about Europe and that you know also make me feel European uh, in a certain way I would say that's just one example I can relate <laughs> I'm having my troubles here I just arrived in the US and I definitely relate yeah thank you uh, so much can you tell us a little bit more about um, what you're doing here or what you have been also doing in the past since you arrived in the in the valley Sure. So, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've been working in, for about 10 years now in education and innovation. Uh, I come from more of an engineer background uh, with a big focus on design. Uh, and I think after years of, of trying to push you know, innovation and design in, in a lot of different spaces, I realize it's, it's really important to be intentional on what you're trying to design. And it's great to imagine products and services that would be sold by millions and will generate revenue. Uh, but it's also important to realize what would be the downside of, of such innovation and, and what are, is going to happen with those products that you're manufacturing, who's going to benefit from uh, all those products sold and so on. And so I kind of decided to really um, uh, you know, focus on how design can be a wonderful way uh, to solve some of the most pressing challenges that we have, such as um, you know, sustainability or equality. And so, yeah, five years ago, I moved here um, in San Francisco, created a few programs uh, with my company, School Lab, and I 
pretty quickly entered the University of UC Berkeley, uh, where I created a first class called Deplastify the Planet, where the ambition is pretty, uh, pretty self-explanatory, trying to reduce the, the plastic pollution of uh, major companies um, tapping into the, the resources and the creativity of students. And from there, I extended on, on different programs, also as, uh, such as equitable design with the same intention of, of really bridging what I call the leaders of today and the leaders of tomorrow, leaders, leaders of today being uh, large companies and leaders of tomorrow being um, uh, students and young entrepreneurs. Nice, no, very nice and interesting. Um, I guess you've seen a lot, and again, I'd like to focus maybe on the, on the climate aspect, uh, which is a rising topic on both sides uh, of the Atlantic and on this side of the Pacific, I would say. We've seen President Biden uh, raising a lot of money on the topic for, for America. The Europe has followed uh, with its own package uh, of billions of euros to push the topic. Do you think the Americans are uh, dealing with this better than we do in Europe or have um, maybe an interesting perspective that we don't have? Um, we definitely see that the way we look at the climate topic is different in, in Europe and in the US. So happy to have your impression on this. Sure. And, uh, and I'll give, I'll share my impression from a French person in San Francisco. And, and uh, I don't, I don't mean to know everything about Europe and everything about the US, but at least what has been pretty interesting to me is to see how um, those two, you know, spaces in the world and their population have a slightly different approach on complex problem how they're also tapping in their history, in their uh, education to solve uh, some of those problems. What I would say maybe uh, about the US is uh, I really appreciate their very pragmatic approach. Um, everything here can be measured, um, everything can be tracked, everything can be monitored, and we really um, you know, hold people accountable for the impact they're generating, uh, which you know, is also the case in business and other practices. Um, and it's not, you know, um, it, it's not by chance that you see a lot of, of companies making a bold pledge about, you know, carbon neutrality in a few years and so on, because again, they have this, this ability to measure, to monitor and to hold people accountable for, for certain things. Whereas I think from, you know, the European um, market, especially if I look at, for instance, the students that I'm having that are coming from Europe, I feel like they have a really impressive maturity in terms of understanding the complexity, the complexity of, of sustainability, um, the ability of like really thinking in a system of really mixing different you know, perspective and, and disciplines to make sense of a complex problem. I think it's just like two very different approaches. Um, I tend to make an analogy with like investment, investing. Uh, when you look at, um, you know, um, an American investors, I think um, an American investor, I think the the mindset here is um, I have maybe 10% of chance of you know seeing my money back somehow when you think especially on the on venture capital, and so they would create an infrastructure a capability to invest in maybe 10 100 startups knowing that only one uh, to 10 of them are actually going to pay off, and then again they they measure they invest they track they monitor, and they have a really good you know, assessment of their own risk, but such mentality wouldn't be probably. Uh, possible with a European mindset where we tend to really have a deep analysis of what exactly is at stake, what's the, the kind of you know benefits, like risk reward um, assessment before making any sorts of engagement. Um, and again, I think those are two very kind of um, complementary approach. Um, and I, I think both are, are, are needed. Um, maybe one, one kind of interesting fact that I've been witnessing recently is um, I think 10 years ago in the tech industry, 
entrepreneurs, like European entrepreneurs, were, were almost hiding the fact that they were European and trying to really uh, you know, be seen as American, California, and Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And more and more, especially in sustainability, I hear entrepreneurs being you know, proud and, and saying loud and clear that they're from Europe, they're from France or other countries like this. And I think it's a real important change that um, shows the change in terms of mindset. Um, and, and this is also, again, because there has been some really interesting things done in Europe in terms of policies, in terms of innovation, in terms of culture. Um, and yeah, I think maybe the last point is, um, you know, I preface this answer saying like, I, ca I can only speak about things that I know. And I also think we need to keep in mind like uh, maybe the, the great divide we also have across uh, those continents in terms of uh, how, you know, climate change can be a priority for certain communities. But um, it's easy to speak about this when you're educated, when you're rich, when you have certain kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, means in your life. Um, but it's not the case for the whole population of, of both places. Uh, I think an example of this, for instance, is, um, I don't know, composting, for instance, has been you know, present in San Francisco for longer than anywhere else. But if you leave San Francisco, then it's impossible to compost your product, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting to look at also, you know, more widespread perspective and, um, and even, uh, uh, you know, look at what both um, part of the world have been doing uh, in, a, in a pretty interesting way for the past years. This traditional division that there is or difference that there is between the US and Europe, US being result-oriented and risk-taking and Europe being very cautious but at the same time trying to set policies and a frame for um, especially new industries and I mean climate, uh, I, I don't like the word industry in that case but for, for new sectors and climate is definitely a new sector that also will have to be regulated. So um, that's the first point that I, I could hear from you. I love what you said about this now pride of being uh, European in, in the Silicon Valley. Very interesting. I guess um, maybe is it is it because we're switching to those climate topics you believe? Yeah, I think the first of all, the, the perception of Europeans uh, entrepreneur has probably been slightly increasing for the past years. Um, and, and I think uh, yeah, like it's it's a it's a it's a nice brand kind of. And again, I think uh, there's a few topics where Europe has been pioneering. Um, I remember at the time GDPR was a big thing here, where um, you know Americans were somehow making fun of us for being like super, you know, hard on regulation and so on. But I also, you know, seeing that um, we can go a long way with regulation if we're applying it to you know problems that are widespread. And I think that's uh, that's a reason for this. If you look also at you know maybe one specific market, which would be all those platforms that are helping companies to you know create, monitor their data about you know um, their carbon footprint, for instance. Uh, you have massive American players, but you also have a really large number of European players that are doing amazing technology, amazing products. And so um, I think the the results of of those you know companies and their success also speaks for themselves. And again, create a certain brand, if I may say, about um, you know European startups in the in the climate change uh, field. Yeah, I love this approach. Um, I think Europe should position itself as being maybe not the regulatory body, uh, the number one regulatory body in the world, but. Um, being at least the one setting the standards. As, as you mentioned, we did it with GDPR. Why not continue this trend on doing it on, on climate, on diversity, on a lot of different topics, uh, on democracy? There is definitely um, a space for Europe uh, in that field, and I hope 
uh, that we continue digging into those, those regulatory and policy uh, frameworks that we're setting. Another comment that I like from you about uh, US, you were mentioning in San Francisco, you can compost pretty easily and it's actually collected from the city and you get out of the city a few miles away and then suddenly it's not possible any longer. Do you believe because the density in Europe, we have bigger cities, a lot of universities also access to education, to free education, do you believe that makes a difference? That's a that's an hard to answer question. I'm, I'm not an expert at like European density. What I think though is uh, is usually, um, uh, you know, in, you can think of like early adopters maybe as kind of, you know, um, some of those population in the US who are really ahead of the curve. I think things can move extremely fast here. Um, but again, the, I think we want to look at cultural history and, and a lot of those aspects beyond maybe just the, the strict population density to explain why we may have a bigger discrepancy between like, you know, different uh, communities within the country. Um, and again, I think it's it's just different systems where um, this this maybe um, uh, agility that Americans have because they're maybe more uh, free in terms of what they can do as a company, as an individual, also you know enable them to move faster. Um, and I think some people here in the U.S. are very advanced. Like I remember when I arrived five years ago, I believe that you know Silicon Valley was a place where you could see the most uh, electric cars in the world because it was like literally everywhere and it was already five years ago. So I think um, there is definitely the ability to move faster, maybe again, a bigger kind of discrepancy between both sides of the spectrum. Uh, but again, probably two different approaches that are very complementary to each other. Great. And, and do you believe that uh, US can kind of move faster than on those topics than, than Europe uh, will do? I think um, I don't like to think about it as, as a race, but really, again, as like, uh, what's the best to take from both approaches, from both extents? Um, I think, um, you know, we need everyone on this kind of, uh, to be onboarded on this kind of, of challenges. Um, regulation can do a lot by, you know, forcing certain behaviors and certain, um, you know, um, actions from, from, from companies, but companies also have phenomenal power in changing and driving change. Uh, think about it, that's, you know, like where most of people, maybe 90% of, of population here spend, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week in their office. So you also have a wonderful ability to change things from uh, inside out in corporations and companies um, and, and, you know, um, the, the economic world, I would say, the economical world. Um, so yeah, I think we need we need all of them. Um, it's great if Europe can pioneer certain regulation because regulation it's it's a hard game. It like requires a lot of uh, of thinking, a lot of processing, uh, you know, a lot of experimentation. And in the meantime, I think uh, US is also paving the way of of what can be uh, corporate responsibility, how certain companies can really be at the forefront of um, you know changing things and be more uh, cautious of their choices. And again, the, the consumers also will have um, their, their role to play. And, and in this, I think, again, we just want to understand what are the motivations at both sides of the, of, the, of the Atlantic Ocean and, and play with this so that um, it's going to be a joint effort between uh, public institutions, corporations, the economical world, as well as, as citizens. Interesting. Um, I like the approach. To, to have this uh, complementary approach of, uh, of corporate um, institution and, and individuals. I believe that's the best way to achieve um, and make an impact on sustainability. Let's, let's hope for the best in, uh, again in Europe and in the US. You were 
Talking about being a pioneer, um, talking about that, I, I love to dig into the Patagonia case. It's been a pioneer in the US in climate, right? So Patagonia has been active uh, in, in climate issues since the, the 80s, right? Um, mm -hmm. can, you, can you tell us why maybe it's a typical case of a company digging into the sustainability topic from a, an American perspective and what can the European company learn uh, from that? Yeah, sure. Patagonia has, has yeah, definitely pioneered a lot of things. Um, what I think is really iconic from what you know companies can do really well here is how they create a whole narrative, how they really kind of embody this idea of sustainability um, from the value of the company, from the way the CEO can speak outside, from the way they're treating their um, employees and so on. Uh, I think they've really shown how communication marketing can be highly efficient in terms of educating people and creating a certain um, attractivity, attractiveness for, for the company, for the brand and for its products. Um, I also think one thing that is really interesting about Patagonia is um, the fact that first of all, when you ask them what kind of you know, product are you manufacturing, what's the what's the unique you know value position or unique sales selling point of your of your product, they would always tell you the quality of our product is the number one thing, and then it happens to be you know made out of recycled plastic or cotton scraps or organic cotton or whatever sustainable um, you know, materials or sustainable efforts they did. And I think this idea of really placing you know, the quality of your product first and then the, the sustainability side has been a wonderful growth driver and they didn't compromise on the quality of the product. So they didn't put the, the user or the buyer in a position where they would have to choose between a good product and a sustainable product. They say, first of all, we're going to do good products that people will love. Um, and we'd like to choose over the competition and we'll help them by making products that are more sustainable. Um, and I think that's a pattern that I've been seeing um, with other companies here. Like it or not, but Elon Musk at the time was saying, um, Tesla, first of all, gonna be the best car you wanna drive. Um, and it happens to be electric. Um, and I hear this over and over again with like sustainable driven kind of companies here who first of all wants to be the best at their market at their products and then happen to be sustainable. And I think the last thing that is really interesting with Patagonia is their ability also to create that kind of effect at scale. I think uh, Patagonia may not be perfect um, and, uh, and they could probably do things better um, for certain aspects, even though I think they're already doing a lot. Um, but they made it at a scale never seen before. And doing so, one, um, again, enable people from you know, diverting their, their purchase from a non-sustainable uh, company or product to their product as well as setting the stage for other players to come in. And I'll take a very personal um, you know, anecdote when um, I was, I was um, you know, looking for a new uh, ski gear uh, uh, this winter, uh, shopping here, I had the options between Patagonia, obviously, but also a lot of other brands that have created and have been created with this sustainability uh, promise in mind, uh, companies like Cotopachi or even Picture, which is actually, I think, a French brand. And so the success of Patagonia is also attracting other entrepreneurs to take that route and to, you know, dare uh, creating something that is sustainable. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, for all those reasons, I think it's a pretty iconic, interesting example of how a U.S. mindset applied to sustainability can really drive impressive change.
I share your views and I really hope that uh, Patagonia will set an example for uh, a lot more companies, especially uh, in the clothing industry, uh, because uh, there are obviously also a lot of uh, bad behavior, let's put it that way, in, the, in that industry. And I believe they're they're looking for change now and looking to go more sustainable. And I, again, Patagonia is a great example of how to do it, um, not compromising on quality, as you said. So um, yeah, let's hope for changes there. Uh, you mentioned that it is a great example also of a American company um, going the sustainability path. Do you think that the European are doing it in another way? And do you think that the European way could be applicable to the American world? Or if you are a European uh, company in climate or sustainability and you want to to come to the US, do you have to change your your state of mind, let's say? Or your philosophy? Yeah, I think you should you shouldn't compromise on philosophy and values. But I think it's key for European entrepreneurs to, if they want to be successful here, to meet their audience where they are, and that means probably slightly changing at least uh, again the narrative, the storytelling, the way you're speaking about your product. Um, it also means like how you have the right arguments that would speak to people here. Um, and so I think without, again, compromising on values, um, and, you know, European entrepreneurs would be inspired to, um, you know, adapt their pitch, their ways of, of speaking about their solution so that people here would highly relate to it. Um, and so really meeting them where they are. Um, so I think it takes just a bit of adjustment. Um, it's also a matter of understanding, again, what's the context. Um, I like to take um, like the medical field as an analogy in the sense of you may have a fantastic medication, fantastic drug that works really well in Europe. If you want to bring it to the US, you have to understand that uh, the health system is radically different here. That the way you're going to market your product here, um, the alliances and the partners you need are completely different from um, you know, European system. And it's not, you know, you don't need to compromise on the product. Again, you just need to understand how the system is working, how you adapt it and you adjust it to a different way of, of thinking, a different, you know, infrastructures and so on. Um, and same should go with any sorts of sustainable uh, solutions is, is how do you adapt to basically the local market uh, from the mindset and the language of your, of your key, you know, target audience uh, to all the intermediaries and middlemen you'll need to uh, involve and engage in the process. Um, great. Would you have some, some tips maybe for those European companies willing to, to come and set up here? Yeah, I mean, um, again, I think um, uh, how do you improve your storytelling? How do you, um, uh, you can exist in a maybe crowded market because we also want to, you know, bear in mind that uh, uh, European countries are much smaller than the US market and we see a lot of, of startups that are starting in one European country targeting maybe a market of 40, 50, 60 million inhabitants, whereas here you're already shooting for the world as your market. Um, so I think it's, it's important that you're able to adjust your ambition and that was kind of, I think, my, my personal you know, learning and takeaway arriving here is uh, people, I mean, this place is, is packed with people who have high ambitions, dreams, and they're, they're good at speaking about it. So if you want to be worth it to listen to you, you also need to kind of have a pretty solid level of ambition. And kind of you know shoot for the stars you'll end up on the moon is is a bit of uh, you know maybe a way to um, to illustrate this 
Um, and then, yeah, again, trying to do a pretty solid um, work of understanding, like customer discovery, I would say here, of like what speaks to people, what would be, um, you know, things that would push them to buy, uh, where do they see the return on investment kind of, um, and, and what has um, some value for them would really help you reshape and, and improve and adjust your, your value proposition for the U.S. market. Very nice. Um, do you believe that, because you're mentioning um, doing your customer research basically before coming, right? So do you believe that uh, the way the American think about sustainability is, is different from the, the way you, we think about it in Europe? In, in France, for instance, there is this very famous concept of uh, sobriété. Sobriété would be the English word. Actually, nobody uses this word here. Um, so. Yeah, people com think completely differently about climate um, in the U.S. Than, than in Europe. What would be like a typical American uh, thinking on, on climate? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, you know, uh, shy away from stereotypes here. And just, uh, um, you know, I think my experience has been that it's, it's very fine here in the U.S. To, to speak about the return on investment. Why is sustainability an interesting business case? And how I can help my the person I'm speaking with, making it making it a no-brainer to invest in sustainability. Because again, if I can alleviate the, the any sorts of compromise or trade-offs in the discussion, then people would do it. Because if there is no good reason not to do it, then you want to do it. So I think um, my experience has been that if I can show the return on investment, the fact that people can not only save the planet but also eventually. Um, improve their their business or you know their their satisfaction, then they would they would follow me and they won't ask kind of more details. They would just uh, judge by the experiences and the and the credentials. Uh, whereas I think uh, we may have a very um, uh, you know moral way of looking at sustainability in Europe. And again, speaking for for what I know, maybe for, for France, um, it's you know you need to do it because it's good for the planet. It's important uh, to you know be sustainable. And I think. It's such a different approach, and so your the ability you'll have to, to sell is going to be very different uh, from one place to another. So, um, yeah, again, I think adapting to okay, how do I make it a win-win situation for my counterpart here? Going to help you um, be successful. Uh, whereas I think in Europe there is a whole kind of moral approach to it. There's going to be a lot of question about the methodology, the how do you do thing. Whereas here is more like okay, what what do I get? Like what are the results that you've been getting in? The, And I think it has both has advantages and, and inconvenience. I think uh, here the great thing is that the, you're an expert uh, the moment you claim to be an expert. Uh, and if you're able to actually deliver on results, uh, wonderful for you. If you're not, then uh, it's going to be hard to sell a second time. Uh, but, uh, but I think it also saves a lot of time. It also um, allows people who may not have had a you know, PhD in, in you know, climate change to also create successful climate startups, um, and I think that's also a really great chance for, for all of us. So there is still room for an, uh, an American dream for, for European companies, if I hear you. Um, and I, I also hear this concept with, that we talked earlier about of, of being result-oriented. Uh, it's definitely also something that I can testify. Like in US, everything has to be easy. Um, and everything has to, to bring some kind of either revenue or result or um, it has to ease your life. 
and and then people will love it so which is again yeah maybe not um, a very um, European approach uh, on this and something that you have to learn when you arrive in the country um, we're getting to the end of this uh, interview Mathieu maybe one last question is there a, a European company in the climate area that you admire and that you think could have or maybe not a company but at least a concept that you think has a, definitely a chance to um, to reach the US I think there is many of them <laughs> for sure um, I think those again I'll, I'll, I'll stick with You know, the companies I was mentioning earlier, companies like uh, Sweep, like Greenly, who are actually creating digital tools that help uh, their clients figure out what's their carbon footprint, for instance, and that are helping them figure out solutions, um, have a really good chance of success here because um, they've already made, I think, half of the way in the sense of they're very result-oriented. They're uh, tapping into kind of the... The digital aspect of things they're able to provide metrics of success they're able to uh, track monitor uh, the progress that, that their clients are doing uh, so i think culturally those kind of companies are probably very much ready for the u.s market uh, and they're probably gonna gonna face a fear competition here but i think um, yeah i'm really um, really hopeful and and really optimistic for for those companies So let's uh, wish them the best on the on the American market. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Mathieu. It's been very interesting and, and, and insightful. I um, I hope both um, sides of the Atlantic again will continue digging on these topics and and just work together on one side uh, dealing with being very result oriented and pushing things, uh, and the other side being very. Um, Uh, regulatory oriented and also pushing things on on its own and let's hope for the best for for our planet let's say um, in the coming years um, thank you again for coming and we will be uh, meeting with our listeners in a next episode have a great day thank Bye. you so much Bye. thank you thanks for listening to this episode of european tech talks until the end If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating and share it with your friends and colleagues. This will help increase our visibility on the podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to receive our latest episodes. Before you go, have you considered joining the European Champions Alliance? As a member, you will have access to a network of European companies and industry experts, exclusive publications on industry-specific topics, invitations to members-only events, and support and advice on your pan-European expansion plans. If you're interested, please visit our website at european-champions.org or reach out to us on LinkedIn. See you in the next episode.